today on this episode of the People You Should Know podcast. I don't, I sat in on meetings with the CEO, the CFO, the C-level suite of a Fortune 50 company supporting my boss, who was the finance guy that supported network and IT. I sat at those tables. I participated in that for a year. And I don't, and I said, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want to keep pursuing this. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't want the millions of dollars because it ends poorly. They're divorced. They're not happy. They don't have kids. And so I just wanted out. And that's where I said, I took a package and that's where I started my entrepreneurial journey. Welcome to the People You Should Know podcast, telling the stories of people you should know and allowing their greatness to inspire everyday people. And now, here are your weekly hosts, Danny Ferry and David Farwell. Hey guys, welcome to the People You Should Know podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferry, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, David Farwell. Dave, how are you doing, man? You're back in sunny California. I am. I'm back. It's been a, a long time on the road. It was great to see family and friends all along the East Coast. Got back to California just in time to enjoy my favorite time of the year, actually, out here. Nice 40-degree weather in the mornings and the evening, 70 during the day. Man, I'll tell you what. It's, you know, you, you pay a little bit to live in paradise, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to ask you, being out in California, do you guys like get all the seasons or is it, is oh, it the same as when? No. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. <clears throat> well, I'm yep. super excited for today because we have with us today, John Olmstead. And so John is a friend of Dave's. And as you know, we are all about other people recommending to us people that they think we should know. And the fun part about this is John is somebody that Dave thinks that all of us should know. And so I'm actually going to turn this over to Dave to kind of talk about John a little bit and let us know why John's somebody we need to know. Absolutely. You know, I met John actually through the Axe Token process. We were actually attending a mastermind together in, in Dallas. But John and I have been a part, you know, not really connected to each other through a couple of like entrepreneur communities, like 100X, which maybe he'll, he'll share a little bit about later on. But the reality is there's a, something super cool about John that when I met him and got to just know his personality, I just loved how unassuming when I actually asked him, Hey, John, do you want to be on this podcast? He's like, I mean, I guess, I don't know why you want to have me on, <laughs> you know, but the reality is this, is that I have a, I have a, a lot of respect for John's process. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for who John is because he's so unassuming and yet he, he is doing something, you know, just to, to share with you with our, our listeners here today. If you are a person who's had an idea and you've just never moved on that idea, I hope that today's podcast is very inspiring to you to recognize that you can take an idea and actually move to have the courage to move on your idea, to be able to risk both mm -hmm. failure and success in what you're doing to never move on something is, is really the true definition of a failure, but to move on something and to take courage never has to be considered anything other than a success because you've put yourself out there, you've tried. And in whatever level of success you experience, Danny and I did a, a particular episode, just the two of us evaluating when we started this podcast and why we did it and the, the bumps and the bruises along the way. And it, it just goes back to that episode to, to really say what a, what a commendable thing it is when somebody is willing to say, I'm going to risk it and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to start something that for me is, is something that is the true definition of an entrepreneur. We we've come to kind of, you know, have entrepreneur be like a, like a key or like a, like a coin phrase, right? Right. That it doesn't really necessarily mean what it actually means, but John is just a, he's just a pure entrepreneur. It's out there. Like he's doing it. And, and I love that about John. And so today I just hope you as our listeners are fully inspired to take your idea and put some feet to it and just put yourself out there and see what happens. John, thank you so much for being on today. We appreciate having you, man. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. 
David. I appreciate you inviting me to your platform. So hope I can encourage and inspire someone. Absolutely. So Dave, before we actually get into asking John questions, one of the things that we were talking about before we brought John on was how we've talked to some people about building communities some different ways. Can you just share a little bit about the difference in how John is building community versus maybe some of the other guests we had and how unique it is, but like really cool, the different ways you can build community. Absolutely. You know, we've had guests on our podcast where what they were doing was they're building community around a service. We've had people on our podcast who are building community because they're looking for like-minded individuals who are doing the same things that they are. And where I really see some distinctions with our guests today with John is that John is building a product and then he's taking this product and he's building community around a thing that you buy. And it just so <laughs> happens that this thing that you buy from John are some absolutely amazing cookies. John, I want to tell you, I was just visiting up in Pennsylvania. I stayed with, with Michael and Wendy Landis. Yes. And yeah, yeah. They had, they had just actually recently purchased some cookies from you and they could not stop talking about them. They <laughs> love those cookies so much. And, and, you know, John, it's one of those things where you know, I've just talked to numerous people who know you, especially people that we are, that we both know from the hundred X community mm-hmm. and man, not only do they love your products, they love you. And there's just something so commendable about that. But the distinction here today for our listeners is maybe your idea is not so much a service that you want to provide or just building a community around something that you're already doing, but maybe you have a product idea that you want to launch. And I think that that will be something really fun for us to discuss with John as we move forward in this conversation. Yeah. So John, as somebody who is literally meeting you right now for the very first time, we love to help our visitors also get to know you a little bit. We'd like to figure out like what makes you tick and and kind of your path and your journey. So the first thing we'd just love to ask you is where are you from? Like, where did you grow up, John? Where are you from? And you know, Kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. And it always helps to find out where things started from. And as you go on this journey and unpack it, you'll wonder, how did I get here? Because <laughs> it is a, it's secure, circuitous. I've described myself as a business platypus in front of investors <laughs> who raise money on. And, but that's okay. Right. Because right, the platypus doesn't look like it should go together. There are parts and things that are strapped on and you're like, all right, Lord, you made that for a reason. Is it just to cause us curiosity? You know, a mammal mm-hmm. that lays eggs that lives in the water. And there's a lot of that in my life. And I think we all have that on some level, but yeah. I, I was born and raised on a farm in North Dakota and a small farming community, 6,500 people. And so my life was, I'm not your traditional farm kid, get up, milk the cows kind of kind of lifestyle. I call myself a an urban country dweller because we lived out far enough to be on a farm. But my life was about sports. I love sports. Uh-huh. I like being in town. And so, you know, riding a bike two miles up a hill, almost uphill both ways. But <laughs> yeah, Ben, that, that was my drive and that was my desire. And as I did that and <clears throat> there was... My whole story will go back to there's always this longing, this yearning that I had had. And and early on, I filled it with sports. I was very competitive, hated losing, was really good at it. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the thing that I filled myself with. But living on a farm and living in North Dakota creates a few things that are unique. One, you really know what cold truly is. So, David, when you're talking about your winters, yeah. Talk (laughs) about 40 below zero. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're in Fahrenheit or Celsius, it's the same. It is cold. And you still survive. I'm still here in front of you, right? So it creates, you You run up against things that you have to figure out. Because if you're, I tell people, there's not a lot of homeless people in North Dakota because winter happens. Oh, yeah. And it takes care of all those people. Or they migrate south like the geese. But that, being on a farm, right, you learn hard work. Right. You mm-hmm. come out and you, you know, I did help harvest and it's a hundred degrees. Imagine that in North Dakota and you sweat and you dust and dirt and, but you got it done right at the end of the day, there's something about 
living on the farm that creates this, I'm just going to get it done. I'm going to create this work ethic. And so I had that. <clears throat> and I, the other thing is the Lord gifted me with intellect. I, mm. I, I studied maybe an hour in high school and graduated in the top 10. It was a big high school, <laughs> but I didn't right. have to. And while that was a blessing, it was also kind of a curse because I didn't learn how to study. So going off to college, I ended up getting a degree in mechanical engineering from North Dakota State University. So those of you that are football fans might recognize North Dakota State, Division One, AA powerhouse. So they're FCS. They've won nine of the last 11 championships. And mm -hmm. so you, you go to this place, and at the time they were a Division Two school, and there was this lot, they, they had this energy about them. And I never played football, but I played on the baseball team which was just basically a fraternity that played baseball. And so we did lots of drinking and partying, but mm -hmm. all of that to say, when I got to college, I really wasn't prepared for it because when you go yeah. to become a mechanical engineer, you have to study. And I, I got really good at stuffing as much information in my, in my brain as possible for 12 hours and then <laughs> yeah. throwing it up on the paper and then coming yep. away. And so in college, I wasn't really prepared for it. Right. I had this work ethic, but I didn't have this study ethic. And I had enough, enough natural giftings where I skated by and I got like a B average in engineering. Mm -hmm. And so I, I say this, it was, I grew up in the eighties, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and baseball or sports. That was kind of my lifestyle. And again, it goes all back to that longing. There, there was something that I was seeking for. There was a connection, there's relationships. They were very illicit. It was, you know, they weren't healthy. And I still live that way for, you know, another, another 10, 12 years afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I ended up, I graduated. Somebody hired me, a Caterpillar, hired me okay. in Peoria, Illinois. And then I moved there, worked four years for them. I worked four years for Cummins Engines. So my first decade after school really was about engineering. And the only reason I took that was people said, you're smart. You're good with numbers, go into engineering. That was it. Probably the most horrible life advice I could have gotten. <laughs> there was there was nothing about passion. There was no, it's like, you're good with numbers, go to engineering. And so I did it and I came away with some good things, right? Romans 8, 28, God redeems everything, even poor mm -hmm. grades and poor study habits. But I learned how to think critically, right? And I learned how to solve problems. And really those are the two things that have stayed with me, you know, the longest as I've, as I've continued my journey. So that's kind of the, John, how, yeah, go ahead, Danny. <clears throat> I want to ask you just in the midst of your story, when's the first time in that journey that you really recognize, like, I'm not doing the thing I'm passionate about. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just doing the day to day because this is what somebody told me. Mm. I hadn't I was got supposed there to yet. Do. At, the, at this point <laughs> in the story, I still haven't got there. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so those, that first, that first decade really out of, out of school was just, okay, you're going to be an engineer. Well, I'm a farm kid. I I've never worked in an office. I hate offices. I hate ties. And I started working at Caterpillar and I, it was an opportunity. And, and this is how interesting you know, we talked about Romans eight twenty eight. God redeeming everything is mm -hmm. I had two job offers out of college. One, one was for working for Halliburton in Oklahoma. And it was, you, I would come on staff working for Halliburton. I, I worked with polymers and coatings, mechanical engineering. I, I was going to be in charge of one of their paint lines at their plants. And I remember the young engineer that was showing me around. It was, for, a, it was the first time I saw a Sonic drive-in. Like, where, why don't we have these things here in North Dakota? But the, <laughs> but the other thing was... He said, all right, I got to, this is how it works here in Duncan, Oklahoma. They ask you your name and then they ask you what church you go to. And I'm like, whoa, yep. hey, whoa, whoo, pump the brakes, buddy. <laughs> what if the answer is none, right? And, yeah. it, and I got a job offer that day. I mean, they must have been desperate looking back as like, I was, they were like, he's got a pulse. Let's hire him before he runs away. So I got a job offer from them. And a week later, I went to interview a Caterpillar in Peoria. And that was a much different, it was a contract engineering position. It wasn't even 
working for the company. It paid less, but in Peoria, Illinois, party city. Mm. It was the place I'm like, I don't really care if I'm making 10% more at this other place. I'm going here because this is where the action's happening. And that's literally how I made my, my, my decision on my career. And so I'm still figuring things out, Danny, to get to your question. Yeah. While I'm there, I ended up meeting my current wife. We got married and we ended up, we moved to Columbus, Indiana with Cummins engines. And, and here's the other, you know, God has a sense of humor in case you didn't realize that, right? (laughs) Friends of mine who graduated at the same time went to work for Cummins and I would travel there for holidays, like Thanksgiving or Christmas. We didn't want to drive, you know, 12 hours back home. I go visit my friends. And Mm -hmm. I remember going to Columbus the first time and it was New Year's Eve and the one bar in town closed at 10 o'clock. And I said, I am never going to move here. And guess where I moved three years later? Columbus, Indiana. (laughs) Yep. Columbus, Indiana. But it was all part of the Lord's plan, right? And so I still hadn't found my purpose for what I was doing. I got hired on at this place and I really had no faith, right? Christmas and Easter, went to church, but that was really it. It was just a religious exercise. Right. Not even with a connection. So we get to Indiana and there's a, there's a, it's full of, it's full of this magnificent architecture. It's called the Athens of the, of the Midwest. And one of the places on there is this church called St. Peter's Lutheran Church. And they had, a, they had, if you were a member, you got to send your kids there to school for free. And I remember my wife and I, my stepson, Brandon was probably five or six at the time. And we're like, oh, we just have to become members and free tuition, sign us up. We took a 30, a 90 day Bible investigation class. And I learned more about the Lord and about the Bible in those 12 weeks than I had in my previous 30 years. And so to become a member of St. Peter's Lutheran Church, you had to answer one question. How do you get to heaven? Like, I know that one. I was in the class, right? I trust Jesus shed blood on the cross as an atonement for my sins. I am made righteous, redeemed, restored, and I can now go to heaven, right? That was the answer, right? That's how I thought about it. It was an intellectual exercise at that point, and it was only up here. And so for the next two years, ended up at the church, went to men's group, did things around the church. And it wasn't until two years later, until it was September 11th, 1998 was the exact day, where I was at a, a, a treat, retreat called Walk to Emmaus. And it was an ecumenical retreat, but that was the day where I realized I was, I, the Jesus that I knew of, I understood what he had done for me. And I said, you're my Lord and Savior. And I mm-hmm. wept and I was, and I, I was saved. I remember the day in the moment. Now, not everything changed. Hey guys, I really hope that you are enjoying this episode of the People You Should Know podcast. We want to just take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Empowered Creative. In a world where there is so much competition online, being able to connect with your visitors has never been more important. Empowered Creative is very passionate about empowering businesses by creating conversion-based websites that connect with visitors. With their SEO strategy, they help people find your business. With their websites, they take people on a journey to connect with your products. And with their online video marketing, they create a positive reputation that puts your business over the top. So if you know a small business that's looking to stand above the competition, tell them it's time to be stronger and more confident. Tell them it's time to be empowered. You can visit Empowered Creative to find out more information at empoweredcreative.co. Now let's get back to today's interview. And so in that journeying, you know, the Lord will take us to places and he will kind of move us around. But that journey, then for my wife, it's like, well, then how do we, how do we redeem and restore our marriage? And that takes us kind of to the next point in our journey where after a decade in engineering, it was a lot like Dilbert. If and in the day, in the nineties, <laughs> yep. Dilbert was our idol, right? Small eye idol. Mm-hmm. We loved him. And, but he was always dealing with the, the dopes and sales, right? They were selling things and they couldn't make it. And I said, I'm tired of doing that. I want to move up the food chain. And so I went to Indiana University and got an MBA. And so this time, 10 years later, more than that, I was ready to go to school. 
And so in a class of, you know, 300, I graduated in the top 10, a 10%, top nice. 10. And I was ready. And I went, so I went into finance again, a decision based on what I was comfortable with and probably not what I should have gone into. My wife always says, why didn't you go into marketing? I'm like, why didn't you say something before I did this? She was like, <laughs> but so I went into finance and that opened the door for us to come to Kansas city where we live today. Okay. We were still in corporate. I was still in the corporate world and the Lord took us from there to sprint. We really only had a couple offers, but they were willing to take a chance on me because of the things that they saw that I really didn't see in myself. So any other questions up to this point? And I'll continue on my corporate journey <clears throat> for you. Well, <clears throat> we always like to talk about like the influence of, of parents on, on kind of some of the journey. So can you, can you share maybe a little bit about like what your, what your parents did? Was it like specifically on the farm working or did they have another job or maybe even some of the values that they helped to instill in you? Obviously you said the farm, I wrote them down right on the farm. You had to learn like hard work and you were naturally gifted with intellect. Um, yeah. But what were some things that like your parents maybe instilled in you and, and just like your relationship with them and, and how that really helped to form you as you were kind of a younger adolescent? Yeah. It, <clears throat> again, on the farm, you did what it took to get the job done, right? If something broke, you fixed it. And if it was, if it was hailing out, there was two years where we never harvested a crop because the hail took everything. And you just fig it's like, okay, what do we do next? And so in the natural, it was really figuring out what I could do, you know, how I could right. get this to happen, how I can work hard, really. And so that work ethic, it's great. And it serves well, but it can also be a very poor master. Wow, that's that's actually a really interesting point. I'm going to ask you to just to, to maybe elaborate on that just a little bit more. We don't often hear this where you know that that whole like grit and getting things done and just figuring out how can can become maybe a little bit more of a, a negative. How did you experience that, John? Where that maybe how you learn this very what most people consider a very positive work attribute right? Positive mm -hmm. character thing to have. Where did you see that being a setback for you as, as you move forward with, with what you're doing in life? Yeah. It, and it takes a while for me. It took a while to understand that that was really, it's a double-edged sword. And it was really when I started my journey of faith, you know, after I accepted the Lord, it, there was still a lot of old man, right? There's still a lot of that old nature in me. And it was still, just gritting your teeth. You read the verses from Paul, you know, it's just love your neighbor. Let me try harder, which is <laughs> the antithesis. Yeah. I have, okay. I'm just going to keep that. There's, I won't go off on the rails, but I will just say this, <laughs> that a lot of ministry or the way I understood discipleship was sin management. Gotcha. Just stop doing it. Just stop it. Stop looking, stop doing, stop being, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop, 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 stop. Well, where's your focus? It's on the thing that has you in bondage, yep. right? And so that for the 20 years of being a believer, it was gritting my teeth to try and make it stop. Some successful for a certain period of time, some days, some weeks, some months, but it always came back. So that's where this ability to do things on your own really is one of the enemies. The un, I call him the unemployed cherub. It's one of his chief tools to keep us out of abiding, to keep us out of resting in him. Mm. We can work from rest, but that concept, those are two words that don't belong together, work and rest. But they do. Well, I tell you what, John, that that's <laughs> so true. It's a lesson that I'm still trying to figure out today in how to be productive and successful from a place of rest. We could spend the rest of our episode on that alone for sure. Maybe maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do like a, a bonus session with you about what you've learned about working from a place of rest. But I want to continue to just kind of explore 
your development and, and, and who you are today. You know, we've, we've got some of your history, my friend, and, and really appreciate you sharing that. I, I'm just wondering, so you, you moved to Kansas City, right? You're still in that corporate realm. When did, when did that first transition happen where you moved from, okay, I'm doing this corporate thing, whether it was engineering or finance or all yep. the different things that you, you know, when did that, that like first moment happen where you said, I think, I think that I need to venture out into my own. Yeah, that's a great question. And <clears throat> as an engineer, you fix problems. Right. And, and in engineering teams, you start big when you're developing a new engine. The 19 liter engine program had 40 people or 100 people, and then it whittled its way down to 10. That's just the natural attrition in engineering. When I came to work for corporate America for Sprint, it goes the other direction. Your team is based on the size of your revenue. And so they expand. And they are very resistant to trimming. Right. There's. They don't like to find ways to do things better, faster, cheaper. And so I had done, I had just finished a major program at Sprint where we put a software package in for marketing. It, we, I helped create the marketing operations function at Sprint. And it was a very new, it was a very new area just in corporate in general. But we took a, we took a software platform, we redid the process, we rolled it out to four, 500 people. My team got patents for predictive analysis. We streamlined how things were done with the goal of them really not doing as much and doing the right things. We gave them all the tools and the VPs said, you know what? We, we appreciate all this work, but we're not going to use it. And I said, I'm out hmm. because I am not, I, I'm not good with corporate BS. And I was back then it was even worse with corporate BS because I had this orphan mentality, lots of arguing, lots of complaining. And I wasn't who I am today. And so I really couldn't sit around and watch garbage happen. And if people were going to continue to let it happen, I'm out of there. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I ended up leaving at a point in time where I was working the fewest hours of my life. The software package <laughs> was done. I'm working like 35 hours, which never happened. Most of my life was 60 to 80. And, and I said, I'm... I'm out of here. My wife also had fibromyalgia at the time. And so I'm doing things at home. I'm managing this. There's no, I'm still, Danny, to answer your question, I still haven't figured out what I want. <laughs> yep. On I can understand level, that, John. <laughs> on some level, but there was this deep yearning side of me that said, Lord, I want more of you. I don't, I sat in on meetings with the CEO, the CFO, the C-level suite of a Fortune 50 company supporting my boss, who was the finance guy that supported network and IT. I sat at those tables. I participated in that for a year. And I don't, and I said, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want to keep pursuing this. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't want the millions of dollars because it ends poorly. They're divorced. They're not happy. They don't have kids. And so I just wanted out. And that's where I said, I took a package and that's where I started my entrepreneurial journey. Wow. Okay. Well, so did I answer I'm your question? More. Did I answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm I'm learning more and more. I love this because even though we know each other, there's there's always still so much more to learn about the people that that we encounter, and that's one of the values that we really find extraordinary in this podcast that we're doing is that we always end up discovering way more. Danny and I joke that even even if no one else is learning anything from our podcast, we are, and and we're growing and, and who who we are as individuals and as you know people in business and entrepreneurship. And so, John, here we are. We're at this we're at this segue where you've decided, okay, I'm 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 done with the corporate. You know, for whether people would say, hey, you did it the right way or the wrong way. I don't know if there's ever really a wrong way or right way to right. just like break from something. Sometimes it's forced on us. Sometimes we move rashly. Sometimes it's a calculated decision. But I know that for just about anybody, including Danny, who I've known for, for you know, for several years, I, you know, even when Danny made his transition, I remember that day 
and it was just kind of a day where he was like, you know what? And now's the time. Like, yeah. here it is. It's just yeah. being presented to me, and I'm taking it. And yeah. so, John, I just want to commend you, first of all, for making that decision. How many years ago was it that you made that decision? March of 2008. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Congratulations. So March of 2008, you make a decision into entrepreneurship. Was Yummylicious your first idea coming out into entrepreneurship? Or what was that journey like of exploring and figuring out what you were going to do? Yeah, it, the answer is no, but I have one other thing to add in that okay. I had waited 15 months to leave Sprint. And, and here's, this is the important part in this journey is I didn't decide the Lord gave me permission. I had this mm. inkling, the Lord is stirring this thing up in me. I've just turned 40 and, and like, there's bigger things out there. And I wanted to leave Sprint a year earlier. And I asked him, it's like, Lord, can I take a package? Because they were always offering packages for people to leave because they didn't want to fire anybody. And he said, I've heard his audible voice once in my entire life. And it was on the steps in front of my house after a run and asking him that. He goes, I have you where I want you. Mm. And I thought it was a discussion and it wasn't. There was no dialogue between God and I. <laughs> that's that's He had spoken. And every fiber mm -hmm. of my being wanted to leave because I hated my boss. She was controlling and manipulative. I thought of her as demonic crawling out from hell to torment me. Just honest. <laughs> I, so I look back and the Lord was not going to let me leave with that perspective of her, first of all. But secondly, right. he knew what was in store. So as we did the software launch and we went through this process, I became an expert in this area, like an expert sought across the nation with the biggest of companies. And next year, the packages came out again. And I'm like, Lord, can I leave? <laughs> and he said, yes. But by that time I had already seen my boss. And the reason why she was acting the way she was, was out of her woundedness. And the other thing was, is the Lord was working in me. And had I left a year earlier, people would have had a different definition of who he was. Because when I left, I was ready to go on mission trips. I was ready to do these things. And at least a dozen people said, you have transformed over this last year. Mm. And so the timing to leave, and this is for whoever is contemplating this out there. If you have a relationship with God, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you ask him, should you go? What should you do? Because if you don't, then you're just doing it yourself again. We're going back to that self doing things. I'm just going to do it on my own. And that's a dangerous place. And I don't want to live there anymore. And when I left Sprint, I didn't. And so back to your original question, David, what was next? When I left, entrepreneurial wise, I didn't know. We were baking cookies. My wife was, we'd bake them for friends. But other than working in this marketing ops space and being a consultant for them, for that group, I got paid handsomely when I would go on sales calls, but there was nothing. And I wasn't really in a hurry. And I just had one prayer. I was like, Lord, you show me what's on your heart. Because I don't want to go back to another business. I don't want to go back and do things the way the world does. I want to I wanna follow you. And he led me on this journey you know, that there's other things that happened along there, but it continued to deepen my relationship with him. And ultimately, entrepreneurial doors opened up. All right. Well, so entrepreneurial doors started opening up. John, you know the the journey of entrepreneurship can be can be lonely when we're trying to figure things out. Of course, we you know we we sit with these things. If if we're wise, we we sit with God with these things and we explore them with with the Lord. And so I really respect and, and love that that was a, a, a pretty significant part of, of your entrepreneurial journey of just waiting and listening and, and figuring that out with God. But I do, I do know that, that you've also found community in your entrepreneurial journey. What, what role did community and networking with other like-minded people, what, what effect did that or impact did that have on on your journey as you headed into entrepreneurship? 
Yeah, I think it's super important to have have people around you <clears throat> to because it's lonely. I tell people this. It's like I went from making six figures and working 40 hours a week to making nothing and working 100. Right. And it's it is not a rational move. <laughs> and if, if you don't have people around you to support you and, and in Kansas City, I was really fortunate to be connected with a group of I would say they're Christian business people. And I don't mean that it's different than a kingdom entrepreneur. And we can talk about that difference later, but they love the Lord. They use their businesses, whether they were in service, insurance, whatever they did where we could get together, we could talk about concepts in the Bible and doing business the right way, which is laudable, right? And you need people around you to do that because when you have tough times or you need resources, I want to go to people I can trust. Mm-hmm. Just because people say they're quote unquote Christian, that if they if they lead with that, I am my the red flags go up. <laughs> because I shouldn't have to ask what your faith is. I should be able to see it and discern it from your actions and your behaviors and how you treat others. And so that was one of the lessons is not everybody who has a fish on their bumper is somebody that you should be doing business with. And I experienced that in a startup where well, I had people that I was aligned with that were former pastors that really that really needed a, a lot of freedom, you know, the way they handled things. And so it took a while to find the right people to be around. And sometimes your wife, your spouse is not your best support system. Sometimes they are. But in my case, it was a wild ride for her because she wasn't, in my life, doing all these things every day. And there's just this, the things, the vision does, she's not seeing it happen and pan out. And so I can go to my wife and I can share certain things, but I can't share certain things. So there's no grasp of, of, of the decisions we have to make, right? The things that get left undone and our day is still full, but yet my wife and my family are at home thinking, oh, what did you do? What did you get done? Why aren't you home earlier? And so it can be very, very lonely. And getting plugged into that right community, David, is really what I eventually found with the 100X group, right? People who were aligned with the kingdom and the, meth- the, the, the message of kingdom entrepreneurs are to redeem and restore every broken system on the earth. That's what we're to do. And finding people along that same mission and vision where we can share, we can share ideas, we can encourage each other, we can get revelation and I can trust it because it comes from a tested place. It comes from, there's no manipulation. There's, they're just people offer things, right? And so I know you've experienced that, David, Danny, I'm sure you have as well. But if you don't have that community as you're building your business, you need to find one. You need to find those people who are in your corner and who can give you resources. Or if you're raising funds, you're right, find the right people to raise money from. Because if, if there's misalignment on there, It'll cause problems in the future. So, John, I'm, I'm going to come back to the question Dave asked. What was your first entrepreneurial venture? So you took a little bit of time. Yeah. You kind of figured it out, let the Lord lead. What was that first kind of on-your-own entrepreneurial venture that you had? Well, it was really my first one was my consulting, right? So I stepped out of okay. that, and that was an easy one because there was already an audience that knew me. You know, companies wanted to hire me to go work for them. And I'm like, I'm, I just left. I don't want to go work for Walmart, right? Great opportunity. I look back in the rearview mirror. It's like, I should have taken that. So that was the first one. But really close behind that was cookies. Yummylicious cookies came about in July of 2008. And it was because of a friend of mine who ran a, a high-end New York-style deli called Dean and DeLuca. And he loved my cookies. Well, he brought them to the team. They liked them. And so we started serving them. We rented kitchen space and it never was a business. And that's the other thing too, is the thing I thought was going to lead me this, you know, in this marketing ops space turned out to be nothing. This other thing that just kind of this, this thing that popped up, you know, it started, it was like a seed that was planted and Mm -hmm. it started to grow and we kept growing it And, and, but it was always, for the first four years of its existence, I was really part-time in it. Like from a baking perspective, I had people working. At one point I had a full-time person working for almost two years for us. But that's 
that was the thing as an entrepreneurial venture. Sometimes what you think is going to work doesn't and vice versa. And so it's really just stewarding and listening, you know, Danny. So the, about yummy, delicious cookies is what I found was there's really a desire for people to have clean, clean ingredient cookies, right? Something that's oh. different. And when, when did you first have this idea? Did you have this idea? Were you thinking about, or were you making these cookies when you were, you know, going through the cor corporate world? Was that something that you were oh. baking then just maybe at home no. or like, when did you stumble upon the need for these healthy, these healthy cookies? I'm not a baker. I'm a mechanical engineer with a finance MBA from a company <laughs> school. I don't bake, Danny. Come on, right? Are you even paying attention? No, it's a great question. It was my wife, and she started messing around with whole grain cookie ingredients back in the late 90s when I was running. I started to run half marathons, and so I'm eating a lot. And those were good old days. Man, those were so good, right? But <laughs> healthier treats, and she worked on that recipe for years, years and years. And there was never, there was never an idea to make this a business. And that resonates with people out there, right? There's something that you have that people are like, oh, oh, this is pretty good. And you start listening. And here's what I want to tell people who listen to this is find something in your life like that. And what are people celebrating you in? And listen to that and listen for that. Because you might be holding something in your hand that is for the future but you don't know it because you're not listening. I wasn't listening. It's like, I don't want to be a baker. I don't want to start a cookie business. And so when that opportunity afforded itself, for the first year, my wife did all the baking, right? I was still doing some consulting work and helping other startups. And it was for that first year, we got to go, we got an audience, and then we had to make a decision of, are we, are we really serious about doing this or not? Because we had the opportunity to go to more outlets, more avenues. We were in the process of adopting. So my wife wasn't going to carry a baby and flour and stuff down to somebody else's basement. We had to decide if we're serious about this, are we going to put a commercial kitchen in our house? And that's where we said yes. So, okay. So it's always been my curiosity. I love just hearing that. So the, the motivation actually was your, your wife wanting to support you and giving you healthy treats, healthy things that you could eat. And so when was it, talk, talk, talk to us about, let our listeners know, what, what, how did it start to get noticed from other people? What were you starting to hear? And I'm, I'm asking this because some people may not know necessarily what to listen for mm. in terms of like how they're starting to get celebrated. Yeah. For something that they know or do. Right. So what did you start hearing from people as you started to move through this process? Yeah. And again, our people loved our cookies. We would, we had like three varieties. We have three original recipes. <clears throat> we would generally bake them for, you know, baby showers or we'd bring them over to parties and they were, they were unique. There was really nothing like them. They're still amazing. They tasted great but they were, they were hearty, right? You were full. We're the one and done cookie company. And it wasn't, it, and I'll, it was by luck, honestly, where we, where we got launched into business because starting, especially in the baking world, you can bake stuff in your kitchen for people, but if you want to go sell it, there's this other level of investment that you have to make, or you have to rent a commercial kitchen. You have to get a business like, oh, there's all this stuff that has to go with that. And that's usually a barrier for most folks. They're like, I'm good with this. And so it was that chance right. opportunity with the right person in the food industry, in a retail space that says, I want to sell this. So that's an obvious one. If you ignore that, then that's on you. <laughs> does, does that make sense, sure. David? So for us, it yeah. was easy. But if I look back on that, there was, there was clues about people in really enjoying those. And so if I'm... If I was looking for an opportunity and looking what I had in my hand, like what I'm doing in my life, I think I would have picked up on those sooner. Yeah, I, and the, I think that's probably true for the majority of us as well. You know, we we can be a little slow on the uptake sometimes of just hearing what what is you know truly our intended purpose. And, and John, one of the things you said multiple times along this, this episode is you still haven't quite figured out what it is that you're like truly 
passionate about, right? You, and I think that that's probably the itch that most true entrepreneurs have, right? Is, is that you're doing this thing right now, but I'm sure that you're somebody who also has, you know, a few other ideas that are stirring around in the back of your head as well. But I think that just for the sake of our, our listeners and for the sake of this particular episode, John, so you make this decision, you, you put a commercial kitchen in your house, huge, bold move, by the way, well done on that one. And here you are, right? So once you made the decision, okay, we're, we're putting a commercial kitchen in our house. We're taking this thing to the next level. Tell us what were some of the, I think some something that maybe would be interesting in, 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 or interesting to hear would be you make a big decision, right? And, and we could talk about the success stories, but let's get down into the mud a little bit. What were some of the challenges that you experienced once you made that decision? Did you have any moments along the path where you're like, you know what, let's, let's not do this. Or was it a, was it a totally clean ride? That would be a, a very odd thing to hear, but yeah. you know, what were, what were some of the challenges that you experienced once you made that big decision? You know, it, uh, initially it was easy. And what I mean by that was it's SBA has programs out there. We took out a $25,000 loan. I had friends build up all the basement and I asked around for other people that we rent a kitchen space from. So setting it up was relatively easy. And at that point I had a couple businesses that, you know, that were taking wholesale. I was starting to do farmers markets. And then I was having people help and I wasn't relying on it 100% to support us, which I, I look back now of, you know, being a better steward of resources, but the hard parts didn't come until later for me, right? Where we, where we, I don't know if you want me to talk about this, but at four years into this, we sold all our house. We sold our house, sold all our kitchen equipment, and we went to Africa on a mission training school. So we had this business. We had a baker that worked for me who now has been nominated for his fourth James Beard nomination because of his baking. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I wish I'd have held on to him. So James Beard nomination means that in the culinary industry, you're the best of the best. You're recognized. And this young man was working for me and he had these great ideas. And I'm like, I don't want a retail space. I don't want a store. I don't want to have coffee. I just want to do this. And there's a point where we were leaving to go to Africa and we, I just said, Lord, do you want me to sell this or not? And he said, if you're not fully committed, then sell it. What I didn't ask him was, am I going to be fully committed when I come back from Africa? That was the follow-up question because we didn't know if we were ever coming back. We were going to Mozambique with Heidi and Roland Baker, Iris ministries at harvest school. And we had our eight, we had eight 50 pound bags packed and we were ready to stay there. Mm-hmm. But we ended up coming back. And so for me, the hardest part for my journey, David, in this was coming back, trying to recreate and restore this and it not going well. And what I mean by that was when you hang around people that are woo woo, right? You get prophetic words. People speak these things out over you. Your cookie business is going to be fabulous and it's going to do great things. And I see you in Costco and all these other things. And you come back. And you're building from zero, but even more importantly, the Lord is working in me to be able to make those prophetic words come to pass because I wasn't ready to steward what was promised, but I didn't know that. And I'm looking mm. at what was promised and it's not coming. And so the, really the worst years in this journey for me were after we got back from Africa, those three years following. And it was... I tried to quit. I tried to go find other jobs. They wouldn't. <laughs> there were some dark, and it was, it was a strain on the relationship with my wife. She's like, go back to go back and get a job. She didn't like being an entrepreneur's wife because it's not always, there's not a lot of security in it. And for yep. women, for my wife, security is one of those things that's needed. So my bumps came farther along. Right. And I, but again, I wasn't going to quit going back to where we started. This is it's going to be done or I'm going to be dead. One of the two, but one of those things shall come to pass. Even when I wanted to leave, I still didn't. And once you persevere and you get on the other side, you have a whole different perspective of how to handle business. 
John, I wanted to hear in our in our last segment for for this afternoon. I know like it's been awesome talking with you and it's amazing that like 50 minutes have passed by because listening to your story, like I can reflect my own entrepreneurial journey through a lot of what you're saying, the ups, the downs, the the moments where you ask the Lord, can I please leave now? And the moments when he says no, the moment when he finally says yes. And like, and then even just like the sweet reflection, I'll, I'll say it this way, the sweet reflection of being able to look back and look at the character that's been instilled um, through yeah. the fire, through being in the fire, through being in those situations. So I can definitely relate to, to most of your story and my journey very much reflects a lot of what you've said. I wanted to ask some questions about growing your business. So yeah. you said that you said that people would eat your cookies. You'd heard the things they celebrated you for. I'm, I'm sending this podcast. I'm going to make sure my wife listens to it because I've been trying to get her. She makes amazing gluten-free bread because she's gluten-free. She makes like gluten-free strombolis. I'm going to be like, listen, everybody tells you how good they are. You're getting celebrated for this. Let's go do it. Anyway, with that being said, I want to... Good job. You've been listening. Yeah. I have been, yeah. And, I, and I'm an entrepreneur. So when I hear those things, it's like the radar goes up, right? Look what John said. All these things I've been telling you. Look, somebody else said it. Yeah, exactly. One other person agreed with me, right? Yeah. That's the majority. Let's go. Bean guy. Anyway, I wanted to ask you about the, the, the part that networking played in helping you to grow your business. So... Did you have a specific strategy once like, once you started? Was there like a strategy? I heard you say about going to farmer's markets. Did you join any networking groups? Who was your community of people that really supported you or helped you to grow in this space kind of as a young mm -hmm. entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question because for me, like the normal outlets or chamber of commerce, it was, <laughs> I'm going to be nice, but... If there weren't free cookies, I was like, when are the free cookies coming? And I'm like, well, when the money shows up, the cookies always show up, right? Yeah. And so there is, <laughs> I've had to share that with my father-in-law, love him to death, but um, <laughs> but there's, there's networking and there's networking. And I don't right. need any more insurance. I don't need, there's, there's places where you can spend your time and you need to find out where those are. And so, mm -hmm. In Kansas City, there's a really rich entrepreneurial. I mean, the Kaufman Foundation is here. And Ewing Kaufman put a bunch of his fortune into entrepreneurism. So they have things where you can connect with entrepreneurs in the Kansas City area. They bring people from around the globe here. So I was very fortunate in the Kansas City area to have access to some really you know, entrepreneurial people. And so I really didn't have to look that hard. I just needed to go meet folks. And for me, that's easy. Right. I like doing that. But in terms of growing my business, it was really the slow road, right? And I had no grand plan. I did not, I had these prophecies about business exploding. I'm like, I just got to make cookies. There's more <laughs> yeah. to it than that, folks, right? Your hand is required to do this. And I would, I would say leading up to 2020, you know, for those four or five years after we got back, it was still just kind of doing the things that made the money in the summer and then hanging on through the winter and finding other outlets. And it was really, it wasn't strategic. And what I learned was, but I developed a strong following. So when you could still sample cookies, if I could get a cookie in somebody's mouth, they bought and they would come back. And so it was really very grassroots for me. But then 2020 hit and COVID and it killed us, killed our business. Hmm. And you know, I'm I'm a I'm a small government big person person, but without the SBA loan, we're not talking about yummy licious. But that was the clarifying moment where it's like I have to be intentional about the things that I'm doing, and so putting things in place where I'm less reliant on in-person events. You know, we're talking about doing right, so that's mm -hmm. something I'm working on, and we're going to allow other people in other parts of the country to be part of. So part of my spread is doing more things online. I'm doing challenges. I've done a couple of challenges to promote my subscription services. I get people to taste and see our company, our business, what we're about without tasting. But if, they're, if they like our market, if they like how we're doing. So I have grown up in terms of stewarding my business to be, to be like a real business. 
And I've had to bring, I'm bringing people on board to help me with that. Cause I can't work in the business. I need to work on the business. That's a, I have a giant amen for that. Definitely for that last statement. Spent a good part of the last year working on scaling my business, which would allow me to work on my business and not just be the guy in it all the time. So yes. I, I definitely hear that. I want, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the areas that you, that reflecting back and this, this should be a, a good thing for, even for you to think back. What are some of the things that you're doing now that you weren't doing before? Some of those things you said, like I had to be, I, I now need to be intentional. So like, I hear some of the marketing things, but are there any other like practical business minded type things that you just needed to be like, okay, I need to get really serious about this. Yeah. I, again, I, people may think this one way or the other, but it's like the, the, I have learned to listen to the Lord, like truly listen mm -hmm. where I was doing it on my own, banging my head against the wall and that wall ain't moving and my head hurts. And I just <laughs> said, how do you want to do this? And I, it, it can sound very cheesy because I've heard people speak that way, but here's a yeah. tangible evidence of this. So at the beginning of this year, all my input costs are going up and I'm, I was like, all right, Lord. I said, do I raise my price? Do I, you know, keep the same size cookies, their meal size? Do I make them smaller or, you know, keep, make them smaller, keep the same price. Do I raise my price? How do you want me to handle this? And I just kept asking him for a couple of weeks. And finally he said, you keep the same prices. I said, okay, my margins go down <laughs> in case you didn't realize that. Guilty, of course, <laughs> right? Little, little, little humor on the Lord. And he said, you're going to use that and you're going to tell people you didn't raise your prices. And then you can talk about what a kingdom enterprise looks like. And when I said yes to that, what I ended up doing is going back to say, all right, well, where are some of my input costs? Well, I've started to order direct from my flower supplier, my organic stone ground, whole wheat flour and rolled oats. And mm -hmm. I can save about 15%. And so that 15% into the cookie is about 8% of my costs that just came back. And so nothing got sacrificed. I didn't play the ways of the world. And what I allowed was for the Lord to be able to, to showcase himself. And I've talked to people about kingdom and their, their relationship. I meet more people in my stand on a Sunday in the summer than most people who sit at church will in an entire lifetime. Oh, and wow, that's crazy. They, mm. they are all kinds of lifestyles, biblical and unbiblical, all kinds of economic strata, people with six kids using food stamp tokens to buy it. And I just give away cookies. I listen to the Lord and I just bless them. And mm -hmm. that's what the Lord wants to do with my business. So not only, so the practical side of this is when I let him lead, he's going to give me those opportunities. And it's really, you have to make money, but in the end, it's about being generous and showing his heart to your customers. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, we actually, we had, <clears throat> we had a Sammy and, and Gary from Axe Token on uh, a couple episodes ago. And one of the things that Gary specifically said brought up were some of the principles from the book of Proverbs and about freely giving, free, taking things freely to market. And there are times when, you know, we need to have that, that giving mentality. I, I think that is super important in business. I think having an attitude of, of like a servant's heart and, and the willingness to give above all else will serve you better in your business. And not because you want to have some like secondary motivation, but truly your heart needs to be. And if it's not there, I would say, you know, try to look at yourself and figure out why it's not like that. But truly, if your heart's in a place where you're like, you know what, I just want to bless people in any way that I can, whether that's serving them, whether that's giving away, like you said, a free thing of cookies. Ultimately, God's taking care of it. He can, you can never outgive God. And so at the end of the day, you know, it's just always better to have a, a giving and a servant heart than, than kind of be like a continual taker, especially if you're in a position to bless. Well, and I, just one other comment I have towards that. And the Lord showed me this early on when I'm learning how to sell cookies at the market. And I'm trying to, like, there's somebody talking and there's somebody looking and I was like, oh, I got to get them. And, and, and it was like for a couple of weeks, just frenetic. And the Lord just said, focus on the person in front of you. And that's hard to do when you're focused on the money. 
The yeah. orphan mindset. So true. The orphan mindset says you need to make as much money as you can. And the orphan mindset thinks that way because he's very limited in his thoughts. And what the mm. Lord showed me even beyond that is that people in front of me that literally are homeless, that are walking through the market, I will talk to them and I will love them, and people will leave and they will go by. And I've just, it's like, Lord, bring them back if they're supposed to be here. But my number one customer is the one that's in front of me. So somebody out there needs to hear this, that if you're out there chasing the dollar and you're judging somebody that's your quote unquote customer, the, let's put it this way. When you, when you see wealthy people treat waitresses poorly, that's an insight into their hearts. And I don't mean this to be yeah. condemning or judgmental. It's a thermometer. It's, it's revealing what's on the inside. And I've dealt with this because I had to get beyond the point of making as much money as possible and just being to the point of that person is the most important person. And mm, what's come of that really sometimes good. has been miraculous work, right? Or large orders or, and sometimes it's amounted to nothing, but it's irrelevant to the outcome because it's that servant's heart of the person in front of me is the most important. Yeah, that's, yeah, super well said. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. It's <clears throat> like Dave said. I mean, that should be a focal point in, in whatever you do. So, Dave, I'm going to toss it over to you for any final thoughts that you have, and then we'll close out this show. Yeah. So, John, you know, one of the things we love to do for all of the guests that we have on our podcast is just give you an opportunity to do a shameless plug for whatever you'd like to share concerning Yummylicious. Anything, you know, so just let people know, you know, where they can find you, anything you'd want them to know about your products. We'd love to just give you a couple of minutes to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have a lot of props, but this, this is our brand <laughs> and this is our business, right? Yummyliciouscookies.com. And you can go there, check us out. And really my pitch, if I can get somebody to talk to me is this. Would you like to try an amazing organic whole grain cookie? And most people want to run by me, but I make food and cookie form. That's another one of our taglines. And people mm -hmm. don't understand that because what they're used to is store-bought cookies. They're used to, once they start on the sleeve of Thin Mints, the whole sleeve is gone. <laughs> You've ate them all. There's 800 calories and you're still hungry. Or donuts, right? And so when you have one of our cookies and what people find is, they eat them and they taste amazing. We have 14 different varieties, something for everybody. You even have some gluten-free stuff, Danny. But when they try them, they realize that I'm not lying when I say food in cookie form. The other one is cookies without the crash. That also resonates. Because when you eat one of them, you're full. And you can order them baked. You can order mixes. You go to our website, you find the mixes. You add a stick of butter, an egg, a teaspoon of vanilla. You make these in your own home. And so there's ways where you can give those as gifts or you can give them to your kids. Like when parents find out that they can take their kid to the market, feed them a cookie and the kid is not running around because they haven't gone through the blood sugar spike and crash. They're like, we are stopping at your place all the time. And that's how I have customers. And so what my, what my pitch to people is if you're tired of eating the store-bought cookies made with the highly processed ingredients and going on the sugar roller coaster, come and check us out. Awesome. awesome. So they can find you at yummyliciouscookies.com. If, if somebody wants to connect with you who's an entrepreneur and wants to talk about your journey, do, what, what are some social media handles or, or usernames that they can they can find you at? Yeah, if, and you can go right to our website and there's a ask us, you know, and that comes into our info at yummyliciouscookies.com. Just drop it in there and we'll, we'll find up some time or I can point you with certain resources or, you know, find out how I can help you because this is a lonely journey. You can go to Facebook, you know, yummyliciouscookies on Facebook. Unfortunately, I'm not, that's one of those areas where I'm being more intentional about and we want to build and grow that. Same with Instagram. We're not... We don't have a big presence on there, but we're moving into that because part of the importance is letting people know it exists. People don't know it exists because they haven't seen it. Right. Right. And that expansion and doing some more of those things coupled with our challenges, that's the best way to find us. 
Awesome. Well, John, it's been it's been a, a real pleasure to get a chance to meet you for the first time for me today. But to hear your story, hear how you have faithfully allowed the Lord to really guide you throughout your entire journey. It may sound easy now that you're maybe on the other side of some of the some of the valleys, but the truth of the matter is there will be more hills and valleys that will come. But it's really nice to take a minute to look back and be able to reflect. Dave and I have said this a couple of times, even six episodes in, we were like, man, we've really come a long way in six episodes. And now here we are hitting where we've hit double digits as of today. So I'm just looking back, reflecting and being able to, to hear your journey. It's been fun for me. And I know that Dave was excited for, to, to have you on and be able to share your story. So thanks so much for being on today, man. I appreciate it, Danny, David. Thank you for inviting me, sharing the platform. And yeah, I, I can't wait to hear more of what you guys are doing out there because it's needed, right? We need to encourage each other on this journey. Yeah, you're exactly right. Ladies and gentlemen, John Olmstead is definitely a person you need to know. Catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for joining us this week on the People You Should Know podcast. A very special thank you to today's guests for sharing their journey with us. If you have been listening to the podcast and have really been enjoying it, would you consider giving our show a five-star rating or leaving a review? If you are on a platform that allows you to do that, leaving us a review will help other people to discover our content and could be the difference in them making the connections they need to unlock their greatest potential. More importantly, we want to hear from our fans and would love your feedback so we know how our show is inspiring you to chase your dreams. Also, if you are not getting email alerts when new episodes are released, be sure to sign up today. You can do that by going to heydoyouknow.com and putting your email right there in the episode alerts box. Once again, thank you for joining the People You Should Know podcast. We hope that today's episode has inspired you to connect with others and unlock your greatness. Thanks for listening to the People You Should Know podcast. Do you know somebody amazing? Do you wish everyone knew about them? We can't wait to hear from you. Drop by one of our social pages and send us a message with your nominee to be a featured guest on People You Should Know.